This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. A lot of times we look and we think of how things can be coming to an end. I'd like to think of this year as good new beginnings, like what Pastor Sean was just sharing with us. And and that has to be the expectation that we have in him. It has to be. That's what he wants for you. That's what he wants for me. And if you don't want to receive it, I'll receive it. I'll take your blessing. No? You want it? If anybody needs a Bible, raise your hand so we can get you a Bible. We're going to be doing a three-week series on discipleship. We don't typically do these types of things, but last year we did one at the beginning of 2019 on the journey is greater than the destination. We are in the book of Acts. And then here, really, the Lord has us, has had us in the the gospel of Matthew, and we've been in, in the gospel of Matthew, and we're also going to be today hopping around different parts of different Gospels. We're going to be reading a lot. I have a lot of it up on the screen for you. But as I was praying for the theme, for the vision of for our church for this year, not what we could conjure up or make, but, but what really the Lord has for us, I really, one word kept coming back over and over and over again, and that was the word discipleship and how important that is in the church and how the church, I don't want to be the kind of person that's always picking and nitpicky about what's good about the church and what's bad about the church because you're always going to have bad things that happen in the church. You're always going to have bad teachings. You know why? Because it's full of people and people are dumb. And we do things that we shouldn't do and, and we're motivated by things that we shouldn't be motivated by. But, but we have to get back to the word. We have to get back to what God has instructed us, Jesus has instructed us, and that's to be a disciple to follow him. And and through this three-week series, today we're going to look at five different types of disciples in the New Testament. I don't know if you knew or not that there's five, but that's just, I guess, what I pulled from it. So we're going to look at five different types of disciples and how you identify as one of those types of disciples. Because I hope that if you're here with us this morning, that you would claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Can I get a witness? I hope that all of us are. If there's somebody that's not, I hope that by the end of the service, maybe you'll decide, you know what, I do want to follow Jesus. This is pretty incredible what God has offered us through his son, Jesus Christ. So as we look at these five identifiers or these five things to help us identify what kind of disciple we are, I'd encourage you to take notes. I'd encourage you to follow through, but we are going to be reading a lot. So get ready for it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for calling us. We thank you for choosing us. We thank you for also desiring a relationship with us, but, but more so that we would desire a relationship with you, that, that we would really seek to know who you are. And we, we maybe talk about it a lot here at Paradise, Lord. You know, it's your church. We, we, we just want to so intimately know you, so intimately draw near to you, to hear your heartbeat 
and, and to be part of what your plan is for us going forward. We've seen you do great, great and mighty things. We've seen you do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And we're expecting not just for this year, but into the future. And, and for our future generations, that you're going to continue to do that. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So sow your word into our hearts that it would produce fruit. Send forth laborers into the harvest and help us identify what kind of disciple we are as we follow you so that we can do it with all of our hearts. Bless your word. Bless the tithes and offerings, Father, and thank you for our worship team leading us in that, the fruit of our lips being offered to you as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Discipleship. We're going to be starting in Mark chapter 3 for the first kind of disciple. And what we're going to do is, it starts in chapter 3, verse 7. But before I read it, I want to uh, define what a disciple is for you. So a disciple is a personal follower of Jesus during his life, especially one of the 12 apostles, or a follower or student of a teacher, leader, or philosopher. And it's by no mistake that the word disciple is very close to the word discipline because you have to be a student, you have to be disciplined to learn things and apply them to your lives, correct? You've got to be active, you've got to be engaged. You've, I made a joke last week about how when I was younger in school, I'd, I'd fall asleep on purpose on my textbook so that I could absorb the information and I didn't have to spend hours studying. What's that called again? Osmosis. Maybe if I wake up, I'll be smart because I don't feel smart while I'm reading this stuff. Maybe it'll be easier for me. Guess what? It didn't work. You know why? Because being a student takes discipline. Being a student means pressing in. Being a student means being challenged and applying those things to your life. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to be disciplined in our pursuit of him, being closer to him so that we can know better who he is and who God is and what God intended for you and for me through that relationship of discipleship. We're not going to talk about it today, but we have to identify first what kind of disciple we are before we can move on and help disciple somebody else. Because you're called, Matthew chapter 28, to be a discipler of others as well. That's to come. So a disciple is somebody who is a student. It's somebody who's disciplined. And we have these five different types of disciples here. The first one, starting in Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 12... But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea and Jerusalem and Udemia, beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude. When they heard how many things he was doing, they came to him. So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they crush him. How many times have we read the what? How many people? the multitude. There's some Bible scholars that would estimate if we're not talking specifically about Jesus feeding the 5,000, which was, it wasn't just 5,000, it was 5,000 men and women and children also. We're talking 15, 20,000 people possibly or more. 
So we're talking about tens of thousands of people that Jesus is ministering to and that are following him. And some, all I don't know, maybe many of them would identify as following Jesus, being a disciple. They were the masses. And he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. There's so many people that their lives were in jeopardy. Get a boat ready so if anything else, we can jump in the boat and get away from these people. (laughs) For he healed many. That's important. You can circle that for if you'd like. For because he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed around him to touch him, and the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. Why were the people following Jesus? Why were the masses, the multitudes, going to these crazy lengths to be around him? They were doing it because they were receiving some benefit from it. They were a part of the masses, but they needed something. They wanted something. And they were receiving something. They needed help. They needed healing. They needed cleansing. And Jesus was doing that for them. But then we see in John that he knows their motivation and he knows the intention of their heart as well. In John chapter 6, verses 24 through 29. Then the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples. They also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has sent his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Yeah, maybe they were following Jesus. Yeah, maybe they were going to church every Sunday. Yeah, maybe they identified as a Christian. But the only real reason they were doing it is because they had something to get from it. I could go to church, and I don't like this church, and I don't like that church, and I really judge a church based on what it has to offer me. You could identify as one of the masses of followers of Jesus if that is your mentality. And I don't see that mean, and I'm not trying to pick on you, but but we're trying to identify what kind of disciples we are. And if we're just in it for us, then that might be the kind of disciple that we are. Well, I go to church because it benefits me, and I didn't like that, and I didn't like this, and maybe I'll think about switching if it doesn't continue to minister to or meet my needs or wants because really it's about me. I've been all over the world, guys, you know, seen, been to many churches, been all over the world. And one of the, one of the precarious things about the American church is that it's so individualistic. The emphasis is so much on what you get that we forget about the corporate heart of God uh, to us as a family. God has great things for you and each one of you hear me say that and you want to receive it to whatever degree right? 
But I'm telling everybody that, that God wants great things for us as a fellowship. God wants great things for us as a family. God wants great things for us as a church, his church, not just each and every single one of you and what benefits you receive from going to church on Sunday or whatever day. Jesus says, I know why, you fo- I know why you're following me. I know why you crossed around the, red, uh, the, the sea. I know why you did it because I filled your belly. It wasn't because the signs, the signs pointing to me as the Messiah. See, those two things go together. He said it wasn't because of the signs. It was because of the bread and the, and the fish. And, and what are we, if, if following you around the whole lake and, and seeking you out isn't the work of God, Jesus, then what is the work of God? And he says the work of God is that you would believe who I'm saying I am. And sometimes as Christians, we kind of divorce ourselves from who Jesus says he is and only focus on the things that we need or want or what we can get from him or what we can get from being called a Christian. The second type of disciples in Luke chapter 10. I'm going to turn there. You can too, but we're going to have it on the screen for you. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 24. This is a unique story of another kind of disciples. It's the 70 disciples that Jesus sends out. So first we have the masses, then we have the 70, and then we'll go down from there. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Well, that's, an, that's well illustrated, isn't it? We go from tens of thousands to 70 people Jesus is sending out. The harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals. Greet no one among the ro- along the road, but whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and you and receives you eat such things as are set before you and heal the sick there and say to them the kingdom of God has come near you but whatever city you enter and they do not receive you go out into the streets and say the very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you nevertheless know this the kingdom of God has come near you but I say to you that it will be more tolerable that day for Sodom for Sodom than for that city woe to you Chorazin Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down uh, to Hades. He who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. He who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. 
And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, but that your the spirits are that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. I would like to be identified more as a 70 than a multitude. Anybody else? Yeah. And what happens when you're a little bit closer to Jesus, when you're in the 70? Not only do you receive something because they're still receiving the blessings and the goodness of God through Jesus, but they're also given something greater than just their needs being met. They're given a power and authority that nobody else got to experience. And I would like to think, yeah, I want, I want that in my life. I want a level of power and authority in my life through the Holy Spirit that I'm not just receiving from God. I'm not just taking from God, but I'm able to give to others. I'm able to help heal. And my, my understanding, even as a pastor, is not just what God can do in my life, but how he does so much in my life, and it's able to overflow into your lives, into other people's lives. That I've been given a level of power and authority that I don't keep for myself to hoard and to, and to delight in, but I have opportunity to bless and to meet and to, to pray and to help heal so many other people too. It's a privilege. And what's required? What's required of the 70? They had to be a little bit closer to Jesus. And if you want that same kind of power and authority in your life, to be able to speak into people's lives. Even me, I, I have people talk to me and say, hey, this is the issue. And I say, this is the answer. And I can say in confidence, this is the answer. This is what God's word says. This is how he revealed himself to me. This is what he wants to do. I've been there without the purse, without the extra belt, without the extra tunic, living in a foreign country. Support was month to month. We didn't know what we were going to eat. We had these little babies that were born in this foreign country. And I'm not saying that to, to pat us on the back. I'm saying because we got to see the power of God because of it. Because we were willing to lay down the things that the rest of the world says is important. And we drew close to Jesus and experienced something that I can only try to explain to some people. Paycheck to paycheck, support month to support month. This one month, $900 extra comes in, right? Could you imagine the look on my face when I saw the 900, that's a lot of money. I'm going to do something. We're going to do something, baby. Really fun. Like we're going to get a scooter or we're going to do a staycation. 900 bucks. This is amazing. Little did we know, three days later, we got the bill from the hospital after our second miscarriage. And guess how much the bill at the hospital was? $900. And God said to us, not only am I going to provide for you, but I'll bring the provision before the issue even happens. Was I a little bummed? Ah, well, maybe. Scooter. <laughs> but what, what I was really wowed by is I got to be a part and see the power and authority of God in every situation in my life. Yes, my wife was in her second trimester. Yes, she spent three, four days in the hospital after the whole or ordeal went down. But I got to see God touch us in a way that it blew my mind. Not only are you taking care of us in this pregnancy, but you're going to take care of all the physical things that, that come along with it. You have to draw near to him so that he can draw near to you. 
the 70. Don't delight in the authority or the power you have. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Let's go to the next one over in Mark chapter 3. those kids weren't so stinking cute, I'd yell at somebody. Hear that chatter over there? My bike is bigger than your bike. All right. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 13, going to 19, he went up to the mountain and called to them, to him, those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, to, to whom he gave the name Barnegas, which is sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, and they went into a house. Now, as much as I'd like to be part of the 70, y'all know what? I want to be part of the 12. (laughs) I would rather be part of the 12, those closest. What is the first thing it says there? It says that he called them. But then you know what it says? That they went. You have to respond to the call. And when Jesus is drawing you nearer to himself, nearer than the 70 were, the only thing that you can do after you receive that calling is obey and go as close as you can to him. And they were given even greater power. Not greater in the sense of better, but that level of intimacy and the same kind of blessing that the others got to experience. Not to mention... These were the 12. These were the 12. These were the ones that got to see the things that nobody else got to see. Could you imagine? Being with the crowds and seeing God touch your life because you needed something. And then being with the 70 and seeing God touch many people's lives. And then being with Jesus, part of his inner circle, the 12, and seeing everything that happened. With every person, John says, if all the things were written down, of all the things that Jesus did and sit, uh, said and did, all the libraries in the whole world wouldn't be able to hold everything. And I saw it, in essence. I was there with him. Now, my, my hope for you is never, my intention is not to try to guilt anybody into having a better relationship or a closer relationship with Jesus But my intention is to provoke you so that you would say they wanted it. You seem like you want it. You say you do. I want it too. I want to answer that call. I want to get near to him. I want to know him more. I want to see those things. I want to see the glory of God, the power of God demonstrated on earth. And you're not going to see it to the same degree as a disciple that's part of the multitude. And you're going to see it to a better degree as part of the 70. And you're going to see it to a greater degree when you see it from the perspective of the 12. But then we have two more left, don't we? Let's turn over to Luke chapter 3. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 9. 
old school turning pages. Isn't that nice? I hear people turning the pages of their Bible. Starting in verse 28, now it came to pass. Listen to this. Now it came to pass about eight days after these things that he took Peter, James, John, and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. You know, Peter, let's build a few houses up here. You guys can live on the mountain. We'll hang out with you. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things that they had seen. Now, picture this with me. Are you part of the 70? That'd be great. Even the demons listen to us in your name. Part of the 12? Get to see those things that God does, not only in your own lives, but other people's lives around you. What about part of the three? You know what part of the three is? Part of the three is, is beholding and seeing the glory of God on a level that, that other people just don't see. They just don't. I, I liken this to the, the prayer group that meets here every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. How many people do you guys think of a church of our size, two services, multiple services throughout the week? How many people come Sunday morning, 8 o'clock to pray? Like three, <laughs> three, four, maybe sometimes five. And again, I'm not telling you that to, to guilt you into being here. Next week, it's going to be full. Y'all are going to be here. I'm telling you that to tell you that that's the level of seeking God and being near to Jesus that you will behold and see his glory and the glory of God. And I'll be so bold to say, I said this in the first service, I thought about saying it in the second service, I'll be so bold to say that those sweet old ladies and, and gentlemen that go to that prayer meeting see the glory of God on a level that you have not. Not because they're better than you, not because they're holier than you, not because of, of anything that they've done, but they want to see it. They want to be near to him. They want to be as close as possible. And when Jesus says to them, hey, I'm going up on the mountain to pray, right? I'm not saying that he invited everybody, but I'm going up on the mountain to pray. I would be like, Jesus, it's Saturday. I've got better things to do than go to the mountain and pray. You know what I'm saying? We've got football on and the Golden Knights are playing the blues and it's going to be incredible. We make excuses when it comes to things like spiritual disciplines, disciple, when it comes to things like prayer. When it comes to things like real true devotion, saying, you know, I'm going to set aside 10 minutes, 20 minutes. I'm going to start writing a prayer journal. I'm going to start taking notes at church. 
Everybody looks down and starts scribbling. I'm going to start taking notes. I'm going to start meditating on what I hear instead of moving on quickly and completely forgetting about it the next day. Ask one of your friends in church what we talked about today, tomorrow. Do you know how I know? I was talking to somebody, a friend, and I was like, you know, I don't do intros anymore covering what I covered last week because a lot of the times I can't remember what we covered. (laughs) And I'm the one doing the Bible study. It's just there's so much stuff, you know, like 100 miles an hour going from one thing to the next. Brain overload. But when we do take that time, when we do say, no, this is important, when we say, Jesus, I want to know who you are, and I'm giving you the time. I want to be considered as one of those who are closest to you. You will be, if that's what your attitude is, if that's what your motivation is, and if you exercise it, if you execute, do it. God wants so much for you to know more of who he is. I had a pastor mentor tell me one time, the Bible is the only book on the planet that is inexhaustible. You can never know everything about the Bible. And in fact, Pastor Chuck Smith said a couple times, the more that I know the Bible, the, the more I realize I don't know. I don't understand This is a man who would quote whole chapters from memory, if you remember. Still boggles my mind. But the guarantee is, the surety is that if you want it, if you want to be included in the inner circle, it's not so exclusive that you'll be excluded. If you seek it and ask, you can be there. You can receive that level of intimacy the level of intimacy that he desires for you to know him in. And then the last one. We have uh, John chapter 13. Which... It's twofold. It's the one, okay? So we have the multitude, we have the 70, we have the 12, we have the three, and now we have the one, and it's a double-edged sword because it's the, the, it's the worst example of a disciple, but it's also the best example of a disciple, okay? Let's, let's read this together. I've actually still got to turn there. John chapter 13. Starting in verse 18, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Then Jesus said these things, When Jesus said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Everybody know who that was? 
the disciple leaving on leaning on Jesus, John, my favorite apostle. When I get to heaven, I'm going to be like, dude, you were my favorite. It does seem to be like John was most likely the closest disciple to Jesus. It refers to him as the one that Jesus loved. In speaking in Peter's restoration, what about that guy? What's going to happen to him? Don't worry about him. I'm telling you what's going to happen to you. If I want him to remain till I return, then that's my business. So we have this positive example of John the Apostle very close to Jesus, then leaning back on Jesus' breast, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it, and have dipped the bread, and having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, and then Jesus quickly said, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he had said this to him. For some thought because... Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately and it was night. Judas Iscariot is the disciple that is the anti-disciple. He's the kind of guy that, I mean, I, I still, it still boggles my mind the relationship that Jesus had with Judas Iscariot. And I've said before, you know, I'd be like, yo, Judas, get out of here. We all know what you're going to do, you loser. And then he goes and, and betrays Jesus or whatever. But Jesus, is, he doesn't do that. In fact, he gives the, the most important command after Judas goes out to betray him. Here in verse 31, so when they had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Skip down to verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is what Jesus says right after Judas goes out to betray him. And you know what Jesus did toward Judas, the entire relationship they had? Did nothing but love him. He allowed him to be the the treasurer, the money keeper, knowing that Judas was stealing, not from Jesus, not from the other disciples even, but from the people that needed it the most, the people they would give it to, the poor people. The relationship that Judas had with Jesus was completely and utterly selfish. It's worse than the multitudes in that he just didn't, he didn't want to just have a need met. He wanted to have his needs met, and he wanted to take advantage of his relationship with Jesus, which sadly enough is something that people still do today. And Paul said, Paul said, even if people preach the gospel for, for their own benefit or for their own selfish gain, at least the gospel's preached. Isn't that crazy? Man, at least the gospel's preached. You know why Paul could have confidence in saying that? And we could have confidence in understanding that God is going to judge everybody. And yes, that guy is campaigning for a new plane and to fly around the world. I heard one guy was, he, he was joking, after I get this next plane that I'm going to have to be able to preach the gospel all over the place, I want to buy a spaceship, you know. For what? Yeah, it's a joke. It's not funny. Like you're talking about raising millions and billions of dollars for what? I don't know. But Judas, 
Jesus still loved him. He was the worst kind of disciple. He was still included in the inner circle until it was time for him to leave. To wrap things up, I have to ask a question, and I'm going to bring up these five points once again. But the question is simply, again, it's not meant to be in condemnation. It's not meant to be in guilt. I'm not trying to provoke a a, a guilty response. I'm trying to provoke conviction. I have these five closing points looking at these five things once again. Number one, the masses were, what can I get from Jesus? What can I get from this relationship? What can I get from being identified as a Christian? And sometimes they say it in the reverse. I don't deserve this, God. Remember, I'm a Christian. Number two, the 70. What can I experience with Jesus? I don't know if you realize this, but there's this very, experience is a very trendy word in the American church right now. Some people have changed their, their verbiage from services to experiences. And I'm not necessarily saying that that's bad, but what I am saying, if you're chasing an experience, make sure that that's not where you place the power, that's not where you place the authority, that's not where you place the benefit, but that your names are written in heaven is the point. That your relationship that you get to have with God is more important than the experiences you go through, but they are seeking something greater and they are experiencing it. Number three, the 12. This is what the 12 did. What can I give to Jesus? Isn't that what they did? Immediately they respond to Jesus' call. Jesus says, follow me. They immediately drop the net in the boat. See you later, Dad. We're going to go follow this guy, Jesus. What can I give? It's thought scholars think that Paul the apostle lost his wife because he converted to Christianity, because he received Jesus as his Lord and Savior. What can I give? What do I have to give? How much can I give? And we see the circle getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And then the three. The three said this, how close can I get to Jesus? How close? Is it a Saturday driving up to the mountain and spending some precious time in prayer with some brothers or some brothers and sisters that want to seek God? I'll tell you this, I don't know when the last time you did that, but for most of the times that I've done that in my life, I've got to experience the glory of God in a way that I didn't get to experience it before. Drawing nearer to him, having that still small voice be clearer in my ear. And then the one, the one says, this is just about me. 100% all in both ways, this, the only reason I'm doing this is because I'm benefiting from it. And it's to other people's detriment, but I don't care because it's to my benefit. Or the positive example, if you want to go to the one, John the Apostle, who gives us the last revelation of Jesus Christ that we hold in our hands in the book of Revelation. And the things that he experienced the things that he went through, the things that God saw him through. And this is our focus for 2020 as a church. The first thing we have to do on an individual basis is we have to identify what kind of disciple we are. And take it to the next level, on the corporate level, what kind of church are we? 
Are we a multitude kind of church that doesn't want to talk about difficult topics because the crowd might shrink? Jesus didn't care. Jesus said, if you don't eat my, blood, my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part of me. Everybody left. He said to those closest to him, are you going to leave me too? Where are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? We get it, Jesus. Jesus wasn't concerned about the numbers. Are we the kind of corporate church that, that's the 70, the experience? Are we 12? Are we the three? We can't really be the one. But that'd be nice. Could be our vision goal for 2020. We want to be as close to Jesus as physically and spiritually possible. And then the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how and what being a disciple of Jesus Christ looks like practically after we uh, identify for ourselves personally. We have communion today, so I'm going to have the worship team come up and um, we'll have the elements laid out here at the front. And can I say, you know, again, saying hard things, eat my flesh and drink my blood. If you don't identify yourself as a disciple of Jesus Christ, then please don't partake of the elements. It's not for you. It's for those people that say, I am a follower of Jesus. He is my teacher. I am his student. And I'm exercising a spiritual discipline. That's who it's for. So just make two lines in the aisles, take the elements together, return to your seats, remain standing, and we'll receive them together. Father God, we thank you for your word to us today, the beginning of this beautiful new year where we only have good, great expectations in what you have in store for us. And we thank you that we can have that confidence because we know who you are, because we have experienced right relationship with you. We have drawn in to get closer to you. We identify as people who want to know you more today than we did yesterday. So it's fitting the first Sunday of this year that we would take the elements, your body and blood, and consider the price that you paid for us to be able to have that relationship with you, Father. Sow this word deep in our hearts, not just for this week, for this month, for this entire year, that our perspectives would be changed and we'd be nearer to you than we've ever been before. In Jesus' name.